0: Well, let's turn again to Ephesians chapter 1, and as you're turning there in your Bible or your Bible app or in your bulletin, um, let me mention that I'm thinking about walking today, Um, walking in the church. Over and over and over again in the Bible, um, God describes life with him as a walk, as a journey journey. We're a people on pilgrimage uh, to a place that God has promised to prepare for us to be with him forever. Uh, Luke tells us that in Acts, uh, Luke tells us in Acts that when the church in Ephesus was born, the Christian movement, the church, was called the way, and that means the path or or the road. Jesus uh, famously said I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so perhaps uh, the early followers of Jesus were called the way because they were following the way. And so the Christian life is about walking, following Jesus on the path of life with God. And Paul picks up this imagery all throughout Ephesians. Seven times he uses the word walk to describe how we're meant to live as God's people. As the church. For example, in chapter 2, he says, God has prepared good works for us in Christ that we should walk in them. In chapter 4, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Again, in chapter 4, he says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Uh, In chapter 5, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then again in verse 5, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Paul uses this imagery of walking to describe life with Christ, life in Christ. So this morning... We want to come to this little section in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, asking this question. What has God's Spirit put on Paul's heart to write to this church, to encourage them to walk a perilous path to the place that God has promised them? That's what we're going to find out. What, what is one thing this morning that Paul wants these people to know that will help them walk with Jesus? Let's stand together together. And hear the word of the God who loves his church. From Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And I will pray. Father... Son and Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear what you have to say to your church this morning? Give us ears to hear what you had to say to the church in Ephesus and what you have to say to us here on this mountain this morning. Would you come and open our eyes to see Jesus and to embrace him, to see how much you have loved us through him, Father, would you do that in our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Brian Chapel once told a story about trying to get his children to walk across uh, a rope suspension swinging bridge that spanned a deep and wide chasm. Um, <laughs> you could probably picture yourself if you've ever walked across one of those swinging bridges, as they call them. You're walking across, think of yourself as a child walking across this bridge with wobbly legs. You're looking down on either side and you see the jagged rocks below taunting you like the teeth of some giant monster. chapel said that his children's fear pressed them down so much that they crawled on their knees across the planks of the bridge while other people confidently walked by them. Chapel said, the anchors and ropes that held the bridge were perfectly secure, but my young children approached it with dread. They were far more focused on the depth of the chasm beneath them than on the security of the bridge that held them. Paul wrote the words that we're looking at today in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 1 because he knows what this young church will face. As they walk, he knows that there will be times when the chasm of their own continuing sin and failure will threaten to swallow them up on one side, and the chasm of suffering and persecution will bear its ugly teeth on the other side. But Paul wants them to know that the bridge that their father is asking them to walk is attached to a rock solid reality that is older and more secure than their sin and their suffering. And so Paul is going to tell us this morning in these verses what that rock-solid reality is. He's going to tell us how it supports us when we face our sin and how it supports us when we face our suffering. So let's dive into verse 4. What what is this rock-solid reality that Paul says will secure us in our sin and in our suffering? Verse 4, Paul says... God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Here we have a rock-solid reality that before the foundation of the world, according to his purposeful plan and in his love for us, God the Father chose us to be his. So here we go, folks. Election and predestination. (laughs) These are the big words. Someone asked me right before the service, what you preaching on? And I said, election and predestination. And their eyes got big. Yes, here we are. Um, and we all have different experiences with those words. Uh, some of you may like, be like I was when I was a teenager and, and was going to church and I had never heard these words. I didn't know what these words were. I was unaware of them. I didn't grow up in a Presbyterian or Reformed church that likes to talk about them a lot. So I don't remember hearing much, if, if it was said, I don't remember hearing much about election and predestination. And some of you may be where I was in my early 20s. You may not like these words. You may have some concerns about them. That's where I was in my early 20s. Somewhere along the way, and it was not at my home church, but somewhere I was given the impression that election and predestination were unbiblical and didn't line up with the love of God. Somehow, I got that impression. And so those two words made me nervous and I didn't like them necessarily, but some of you may be where I am now. Like me, you may love the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination. You may love it, and some of you may wonder why. Well, let me, let me help. Let me explain to you a few reasons why I have come to love the doctrines of election and predestination. And I, and I think this will help us get through uh, these verses and, and hear what Paul is trying to encourage the church with in their walk. First of all, election and predestination are biblical words and concepts. This is what I have come to learn. <laughs> I began to read my Bible and I came across passages like Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. You know, if I couldn't deny Ephesians 1 says God chose us before the foundation of the world. It's there. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. It's there. And the words come up again in Romans 8. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I was starting to see them. So I couldn't deny the words. I couldn't deny that the Bible teaches them. And Then I began to see it all over the Bible. In Genesis 12, Abraham was chosen by God to become the father of a new nation, Israel. Now, Abraham, Abraham didn't come up with this idea. Uh, he didn't propose this to God as a great idea. Hey, God, would to use me to start a new nation? Of course not. Abraham was over there somewhere near what we call Babylon worshiping the moon god when God called him, chose him and then God chose Jacob, not Esau God chose Moses God chose David and not his brothers God chose Ruth and Esther and other women and then he chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus and we've seen how Paul has said that he is an apostle, by, uh, apostle of Jesus by the will of God. Paul didn't want Jesus. He was trying to stamp his memory out. But Jesus wanted Paul. And he chose him. And then I started to begin to see that Jesus teaches this too. In John 6, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And then in John 17, when Jesus is praying the night before his crucifixion, he says, Father, glorify your Son, since you have given him authority over all flesh. Authority to do what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So this concept of election and predestination is all over the scriptures. And now let me just stop right here and say, it took me a while to get to the place where I love these doctrines. So, I, I'm not trying to rush you. Um, take time. Read the scriptures. It's, it's okay if, you're, if this is a new concept to you or if it's a concept you struggle with. Um, the fact that you wrestle with it is a good sign because you're trying to think what... What is God trying to say in his word? And so I encourage you, keep reading the scriptures. Keep looking to see. Not all of us in this room are there yet. Some of us may never get to where we love these doctrines. But I'm encouraging you, read the Bible, ask the Bible questions, and see what answers it gives you. And I also want to invite you if you're really curious about this and you really want to dig into it, ask me. I'll help you. Uh, There's several of us in here. Eric, I know, he's in seminary right now. He'd love to help you. So, um, to, to help you unpack what the Scriptures say about these incredible, incredible doctrines of election and predestination. But another reason I've come to love election and predestination is because they make much of God's grace and not much of me. They make much of God and his grace, they don't make much of me. Paul says he predestined us according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. God's choosing us is for us, yes, but it's not about us. It's about God and His amazing grace to show His love to sinners like us. So it's for us. We benefit from it. But it's not about us. It's about Him. It's about what He wants. It's about His will. It's about His praise. God chose us not because of something in us, but because of something in Him. We read this this morning from Deuteronomy 7. For you are a holy people which means set apart. Set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and it's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Friends, it's not something impressive about us that makes God choose us. Paul said God chose us before the foundation of the world. Before we could do or not do anything impressive to earn God's love, he loved us he chose us in fact we had actually made ourselves unlovable paul said that god chose us in christ that we should be holy and blameless before him which means god chose us to make us something that we were not before we were not holy and we were not blameless and so he chose us to be that and he was going to make it happen it's all about him it's all about his grace. He chose us because of ins- something impressive about him, not me. God is overflowing with grace and love. And so I love the doctrines of election and predestination because they make much of him and not me. And the, the other reason why I've come to love these doctrines is because... They were meant to give us comfort and courage as sinners and sufferers. And here's, here's where I want to spend the rest of our time together. These doctrines were not meant for us to get all full of ourselves and to have arguments with each other all, all the time. They were meant for us to know God. They were meant for us to know his heart for us. They were meant to give us comfort and courage when we sin and suffer. You know, let's... Let's take each of those and look at them from what Paul has to say in these verses. We find comfort and courage as people who sin from these doctrines. Paul said that we were chosen in Jesus Christ to share his record, Jesus' record before God. God chose us in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him, before God. And that gives us comfort in our sin, that we share Jesus' record before God the Father. Holy and blameless. Let me, let me try to illustrate this. Nathan, now comes the time that I warned you about. So come on, come stand right here. So Nathan is going to help me. He's going to represent Jesus. Jesus. And when I told him that, he said, I like to represent Jesus. Of course he does. And he represents Jesus well. And I'm not talking about the hair and the beard. am talking about his heart. He represents Jesus well. So, you're going to represent Jesus. And so, I need you to hold that. That's right. That is the record of Jesus. If we were to put it all in a book, this is all of what Jesus did and said and thought and desired and it was perfect and holy and blameless, okay? So, he's got that. On the other hand, we have the record of Jimmy. It is not holy and it is not blameless. And it is jam-packed full of nasty stuff, okay? So, here's what, here's what Paul means when he says God chose us to be blameless. I have a lot to be blamed for. And so, what Jesus has done is he has taken all my blame. Hang on to it. And now, because Jesus has received my blame in his death on the cross, receiving the punishment for the sins that I should be blamed for, the blame is taken away from me. And I, in, in Jesus, I am blameless. But that's not all. The gospel also tells us that in Jesus we are holy. And so what Jesus does is he gives his holiness, his record of holiness to me. And so now, because God chose me in Christ to be holy and blameless, this is, this is, my, this is my standing before him. This is my record before God. And that gives me great comfort and courage. Thank you. Um, that's right. You throw this as far as the east is from the west. The cross canceled all that stuff out. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, He who, be, he who knew no sin became sin, became blamed for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. And so, that gives me comfort. It comforts me to know that the Father and the Son and the Spirit, before I ever existed, before anything ever existed, devised a plan. Knowing that I would sin, devised a plan to exchange my record for Christ so that I could stand holy and blameless before him. And that is such a great comfort to me that my sin cannot, did not, will not separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But it also gives me courage now to fight the sin that remains in me. Since I already stand holy and blameless in Christ, then in Christ and with Christ in me, I can pursue holiness in my life where I'm not yet holy and blameless as I ought to be, but one day will be. This truth gives me courage to fight to be the holiness that I have. I love how John Newton said it. He said, I'm not what I ought to be and I'm not what I want to be. And I'm not what I one day will be, but I am not what I was. And it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. So I find comfort and courage as a sinner in the doctrine of election and predestination. Now, we have to remember, as I said the, uh, last week, that Paul is saying these things to a whole church. He's, he didn't write this to each individual member in that church, although it is, in a sense, to each and every one of them because these things apply individually to them. But remember, I said that all the YOUs in this book are actually y'alls. He, he said these things to an entire church. Why would he say those things about what Jesus has done for us as individuals to an entire church? I, a couple of applications, I think for us as mountain fellowship let's ask the question how do we see each other do we see each other as holy and blameless in christ do we have the same view of our brothers and sisters in christ that our father has do we see one another as holy and blameless are we always looking for the ways we're not Paul will say later in chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Do we see one another as holy and blameless? And then how do we speak to one another? Do we speak that grace, Paul says in chapter 4 too, um, speak in a way that is good for building up, that it gives grace to those who hear. Do we speak to one another the good news of the gospel that in Christ we're holy and blameless is there someone in this fellowship that you can go to and confess the ways that you have not been holy and blameless and hear them say in Jesus you are holy and blameless he's forgiven you you're clean now go and be who you are in him Do you have somebody that you can do that with? Are you doing that for someone else? Comfort and courage for one who sins. But then we also find in election and predestination, comfort and courage for those who suffer. We were chosen in Jesus Christ to share not only his record, but to share his relationship with God. In love, Paul says, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose, that word is good pleasure, according to the good pleasure of his will. God chose us in love to be adopted as his sons and daughters. Several months after Christine was so horribly burned in the grease fire that i've told you about in the past and she was still recovering Uh, the pastor of our church back then chuck and his wife stacy took us to a conference in nashville called the sonship conference scotty smith and and others uh, led that conference and we spent a whole week studying the biblical concept of sonship or adoption that's the word paul uses here is sonship and then we studied it in, in the Bible and hearing speakers during the day. And then we would each meet with older seasoned saints who had been trained to help us to begin to apply all that our sonship meant for us today, right now. And for us, it was a life-changing experience. It, it, it set us on a trajectory of trying to understand what it means to live as sons and daughters of God who suffer in the middle of the worst suffering we had ever experienced to that point god began to teach us what it means when paul says in verse 6 that we are blessed in the beloved that, that word means loved one one who is loved it seems that it was paul's nickname for jesus why would jesus why would paul call jesus the beloved the loved one well because jesus if you remember in those two crucial moments in his life at his baptism and the transfiguration heard his father say you are my son the beloved in whom i'm well pleased and so imagine your nickname is the one who is loved that's amazing that's that's jesus's name but those of us who are in him we get that name too we are the beloved we get to hear our father say you are my son. You are my daughter, in whom uh, who I love, and in whom I am well pleased. And so we were beginning to learn what that means, what it means for a beloved to define us. And friends, I'm a long way from knowing what that means. I still wrestle with it every day. But that truth at that time gave us comfort in our suffering and courage to keep walking the perilous path that God had chosen for us. We began to learn what Paul was doing in Romans 8. He was teaching suffering saints that they were adopted by the Father through his Son. And that right in the middle of their suffering, they could know that neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. There's no chasm that you walk that he's not aware of. (laughs) No chasm he calls you to walk across, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. These doctrines hold you fast when you suffer. They convince you that you are loved and that nothing can separate you from it because of Jesus. And so for us, for for how we live this out as a community, just one thought, one thought. Will we continue? We do this well, I think, but will we continue to be, Mountain Fellowship, a people who are the father's hug for those who hurt? starting in our congregation. We can be God's love with skin on. We can be our Father's hug for people who hurt in our congregation. Let's continue to do that. Let's continue to live with one another in a way that says, no matter what it looks like right now, you are your Father's beloved son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. Did you see the news story this week uh, about Dads on Duty uh, in Louisiana at a high school called Southwood? Uh, Google it. Dads on Duty. There's, There's some really encouraging video. It's rare to find good news these days, and this is one of those stories. But CBS reported it this way. They said that after a violent week of fighting in a school that saw 23 students arrested in three days for fighting. Southwood High School parents knew something had to change. Some dads decided to take matters into their own hands, and so they formed Dads on Duty. There's T-shirts and everything. A group of about 40 dads who take shifts spending time at that school in Shreveport, greeting students in the morning and helping maintain a positive environment for learning rather than fighting, they said. And they say the students say that it's working, and the numbers prove it. There hasn't been a single incident on campus since the dads showed up. And though none of the dads have degrees in school counseling or criminal justice, they do have some relevant experience. One of them said, we're dads. We decided the best people who can take care of our kids is us. And now... They said, any negative energy that enters the building has to run the gauntlet of good parenting. One of the students said, I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting and people started going to class. Kids who once walked the halls in fear now walk the halls in confidence and with purpose because dads are on duty. Mountain Fellowship, we've been called to walk on this mountain in a way that puts Jesus on display to our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. And even as we walk this bridge, the chasm of our remaining sin growls at us on one side, and the chasm of our suffering grieves us on the other. But Jesus' dad, our dad, he's on duty. Amen? Amen. Take Comfort Mountain Fellowship and have courage when your walk gets wobbly. Remember that the bridge you're crossing is held in the hand of the Father who loves you and chose you to belong to him. In Christ Jesus, you are your Father's beloved. Father, would you help us to believe this? Help us to believe this. And help us even now as we share this meal together as a family, as your sons and daughters with our elder brother Jesus. To see the proof that you have chosen us to be holy and blameless before you. That you have predestined us because of your love for us to be adopted as your children through Jesus. Show us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.